Welcome back to Sin Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we're in Romans chapter 9. It reads, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They're Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because there is offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done neither good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we then say? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay, to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed, he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. In her who is not my beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out a sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, he would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying on Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. All right, Ursula, as we're back here in chapter 9, remember we've left chapter 8 with this concept of security and how God is the one who is allowing us to have our salvation. And Paul, as he's done throughout this time in Romans, is anticipating questions that are going to come up. And so the big question that he's really going to answer is, hey, what about the nation of Israel in relationship to these promises that you've talked about? Because He knows that his audience knows of the promises given to Israel, and it 
seems now that maybe the church is going to be his only focus and that he's forsaken everything that he said to Israel. So Paul, anticipating that question, is going to kind of break it down over chapters 9, 10, and 11, and he's really centered us in, in the beginning of his discussion, on this concept of sovereignty. And so let's unpack what that looks like in this first part here. I love how Paul does try and anticipate possible questions that are going to come from his audience. Remember, the Roman church is made up of Jews and Gentiles, and primarily Jews who converted to Christianity. He wants to just to talk to them now. He's kind of shifted his focus off of our security in Christ and never being separated from his love to now really addressing a possible insecurity that the Israelites may have. And so he talks about some advantages that they have in verses four and five. And those advantages of being a Jew, about being given the law and being given these promises and belonging to the adoption and belonging to him, those haven't gone away. His covenants haven't gone away. But what he does want to talk to them about is it's really not about uh, who they were born to as in their flesh, right? Just like it's not about who my parent is, the flesh of my parent, right? My parent isn't going to save me because my parent is a Christian. That doesn't automatically mean I have faith in Christ because they're a Christian. I have to have my own. It's a matter of my heart. And he even says this is in verse 80 says, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring, right? It's a matter of the heart. It's not going to be about your dad. And then he starts to go on starting in verse nine, really kind of extrapolate what that promise is. So then he starts to just really show God's plan. He had a plan with Jacob and Esau. He had a plan with Moses. He even had a plan with Pharaoh. And even for people who harden their heart, he has a plan. And what God is showing us through this chapter is that his plan will never be thwarted. He is sovereign. And it even says in 16, so then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God. It's God's plan. God is going to choose who he has mercy on and who he is going to bestow grace on. And this chapter really lays that out really well. Ursula, I really appreciate how you've framed this for us and helping us to understand that there's really two groups here inside of Israel that we're talking about. The true Israel, the people who are responding to God, and those who are not. And so the people who are not, they probably anticipated that they would be receiving God's blessings just because of their heritage. Hey, we're God's people. He's going to do with us what he wants. He's our people. He's given us everything. But I really want to caution us in thinking, oh, that's just a problem for Israel. Because that's a problem for the church, too. It's a problem for the church because what Paul is really developing here is it's the same concept that the people of God 
are going to be the true people, but there's going to be people who are attached to that, who think that they're participating in the blessings, but are not. So just as not all of Israel was true Israel, not all of the people who are at church on Sunday are people who are redeemed and experiencing the blessings of God in their life, who are chosen, who are called, who are elect, who are able to participate in the resurrection of Christ. And so as we think about that, it really draws us into his sovereignty and why he has these two groups. When we think about somebody who's sovereign, they have this opportunity to have the right to rule over all of their creation. I like to tell people, if I build something, I have the right to destroy that because I built it. You don't have the right to come in and destroy it because you didn't build it. And so as we think about what he's doing here, Paul is arguing that, hey, God is going to use some of these people as a backdrop for the riches of the glories that he has, because he's going to display how these people are not receiving what is offered, but are receiving what they deserve. And he's going to contrast that with the people who are receiving what they don't deserve, but has been offered to them that they humbly accept in salvation. And so as we look at that and we look back through this chapter at that lens, what else can we draw out about the riches of the glories of Christ and how his choosing of some helps it so that we can see the backdrop of what his portrait of salvation is? I think we need to look down in verse 25, and it says, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I shall call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And God is sovereign. He has a plan. And again, just like what you said, not everybody who sits in the pew on Sundays is believing. Um, Some, going back to chapter one, they are suppressing the truth. They are turning away. Um, They might have the law. They might try to do the right things, but there isn't a faith there. And God is faithful. He always calls his remnant. He desires that all sinners be saved. He says that in Timothy, right? He desires that all come to that saving knowledge of Christ, but he knows they won't. And some are vessels of wrath. And he even lays that out in verse 22. What if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And I think there's a place we can go where we can go, oh my gosh, am I a vessel of wrath? Um, I would even challenge you to think if you're even thinking that then (laughs) you need to pray and ask the lord for faith and look at your life and see and god is drawing you to himself even in having that very question for yourself it's christ who saves and he's the one drawing you to himself asking you to really bow the knee and submit your life to him. And when you have a vessel of wrath, they are not willing to do that. They are not willing to submit. They are not willing to call him Lord. And I think the beauty of what Paul's doing here, he really wraps this up in this concept here at the end of the chapter as he says, hey, why is it that Israel has done this? You know, honestly, if Israel had all believed, would there have been a need for him to include the Gentiles? Maybe not. 
But because of their unbelief and because they've chosen to try to attain these things through the law rather than through faith, he opens up the people of God to a people who were not even searching for it. And that really shows the depths of his grace and his mercy as he allows others to participate in that blessing because of that. And it's interesting, you look at the last verse here, the stone of stumbling that it talks about, the same thing that they were to be waiting for actually proves to be what trips them up because they want to gain their salvation by the law rather than by the faith that they've been called to. And as we move forward into chapter 10 in our next session, we'll see how Paul's going to really develop that true belief in what that process looks like. It's the same for the individuals who are believing just as he's established in previous chapters, that salvation comes through faith. And so as we walk through this today, if you have other questions, I pray that you are actually seeking out the answers to those questions, that you're looking into that, that you're talking to other people about how God's Word is speaking to you and the ways in which He's revealing things to you, that you're doing that within community of believers, and that as you do that, you're able to then grow in your understanding of God. Know today you are loved.